Hello and welcome to The Sunday Presents with me, Dean Buckley. And me, Kira Maloney. The Sunday is a website, thesunday.net, that me and Dean uh, own. <laughs> own the right word? I don't know. Probably not. Run? <laughs> no, that's a little strong too. Yeah. It's a website. That's true. That me and Dean created. There we go. Where to write about films and TV and music and so forth. Thesunday.net. <laughs> the Sunday with an E. This is The Sunday Presents, also Sunday with an E, which is a podcast where we each take turns showing the other favorite films of ours that the other has never seen before, and then we talk about it for your listening pleasure. That's true. That is what we do. It's a podcast. What are we talking about today, Dean? <laughs> today, I'm realizing a long-term ambition of forcing you to watch a Harmony Korean film. <laughs> Specifically, though, I picked one of his more accessible films. Oh my god. <laughs> I would call it... seems to me. Okay. I have only seen four of Harmony Korine's six films, but I would comfortably call this the second most accessible film he's ever made. What's the first? The Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey. Oh, okay. And what what is the film, Dean? Spring Breakers, 2012. That's a relief because that's the film I watched. (laughs) When I searched Spring Breakers on Criterion to see if it was on there, one result came up, which was... The Gospel of Eureka, a documentary about Christians and gay people in a small town in Arkansas. And so I watched that. <laughs> and it was uh, it was pretty good, you know? That's nice. Then I watched Spring Break. And, and I think we all agree. Two great tastes that go great together, right? Harmony Crean's one of my favorite directors. He was discovered in his early 20s by the photographer Larry Clark, who was uh, walking around Washington Square Park in New York one day. And saw this kid skateboarding and thought he looked real cool. So Larry Clark walked up to him and the skateboarding kid was Harmony Korine. And they chatted for a while and Larry Clark was like, I want you to write a script about young people and what they're like. And it has to have, one of the teenagers has to have AIDS. And Harmony Korine said, I've been waiting to write this film my whole life. Is that kids? That's kids, 1995. Directed by Larry Clark in his film debut, written by Harmony Korine and... Starring in their first film appearances, uh, Chloe Savini and Rosario Dawson. Wow. So pretty momentous that uh, Larry Clark thinking Harmony Korine was cool at skateboarding. He is an extremely divisive, polarizing and controversial direct. First, I mean, first of all, his his films are, are so not for, for everyone. To the extent that some of them are arguably not for anyone, except for me, because <laughs> I'm talking about Trash Humpers and I love, I love Trash Humpers. Make it, make it, make it, don't fake it, make it, make it, make it, god damn it, make it, make it, make it, don't fake it, make it, make it, don't fake it, with the butter. Come on, bitch, with the butter and lie. Lots of people view Harmony Korine as this vulgar, exploitative, lowbrow edgelord masquerading as an auteur. And then there's the people like Werner Herzog and Gus Van Sant who think Harmony Korine is the best thing since sliced bread. Herzog fucking loves Korean so much that he ended up being in multiple films of his. Uh, I've still not seen a Herzog film, but I, I really enjoy him as an actor. Just as <laughs> For my part, apart from he's one of my favorite directors, I actually have no opinions about Harmony Korine. He seems kind of annoying, so I've never bothered to look into him anymore. Oh, you mean as a person? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I have plenty of opinions about his films, but (laughs) as a man or as a public figure, I have truly no opinion about Harry Creed. I I also have no opinion on him because I don't really know anything about him. Yeah. 
Do you want me to tell you about Spring Breakers? I would love to hear you tell me about Spring Breakers. Four girls, Britt, played by Ashley Benson, Candy, played by Vanessa Hudgens, and Cotty, played by a woman who I assumed was Harmony Crean's daughter, but is actually his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and those three are all heavy partying college girls. And then there's Faith, played by Selena Gomez, who we see attending an extremely Protestant Christian youth group for born agains or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at the start of the film, they're meant to be going to Florida for spring break, but they only have $300 between them. So the three girls who aren't Faith rob a restaurant with realistic looking squirt guns. Mm-hmm. When they tell Faith, uh, she establishes their holding pattern for quite a bit of the film when she's like, I don't know, maybe you guys shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, but that it's like a neck good because we'll get to go to Florida and that's beautiful. Then there's a big chunk of the film that basically consists of Girls Gone Wild footage and Selena Gomez's repeating narration of a phone call to her granny, which brings me to a major aspect of this film that I want to make clear to the listener, mm-hmm. which is dialogue repeating over and over. Yeah. Either characters repeating lines like in kayfabe or lines being replayed in the audio. Like James Franco says spring break, spring break forever. 2,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of James Franco, we first see him performing a pretty shitty rap song called Hanging With Them Dope Boys. Yes. (laughs) But he enters the actual story when the girls get arrested for cocaine and he bails them out. James Franco plays Alien, a rapper slash gangster who was raised in a black neighborhood in this part of Florida. It's it's kind of odd that he's so committed to the ethos of spring break forever when he has at literally no point been on spring break. But whatever. Yeah. After Alien bails the girls out, they go with him to a pool hall? There is certainly a pool table there. Yes. And guys who wear jeans around their knees, like I've ne- like like I've seen guys with saggy pants. I've never seen them as saggy yes. in in my life as they are in this place. And whatever whatever this place is, it's it's not spring break material. <laughs> <laughs> and Faith, understandably, is like, "This is weird. I don't like this. I want to go home." And she does. She gets on a bus and rides that bus right out of the film. Yes. And I really thought she'd be back at some point since she was basically the protagonist, but nope. Nope. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> you haven't seen the last of Barbados Slim. Now goodbye forever! But the other three girls are, are into it for some reason. And they stick around and make aliens suck their gun dicks. And I, I don't want to explain <laughs> what I mean by that. Uh, and he keeps saying that he's living the American dream and so forth. He's got lots of guns and cash. And he's and he's got Scarface on repeat. On repeat. <laughs> <laughs> By which he means he owns a copy of Scarface on DVD. Yes. Meanwhile, Alien's former best friend, Big Arch, 
played somewhat terribly by Gucci Mane, who I can only assume has never acted before. That assumption is correct. Is pissed off. Alien is encroaching on his business. He repeatedly says that he owns these streets and also that Alien's taking food out of his baby's mouth. His baby is hungry. His baby needs to eat. His baby's stomach (laughs) is grumbling. His baby's got a need, a need for food. Only two of those aren't in the film. Um, (laughs) The the girls get pink ski masks uh, with unicorns on them and they're out by the pool and they ask Alien to play something inspiring on the piano and he plays Every Time by Britney Spears. One of the greatest singers of all time and an angel if there ever was one on this earth. (laughs) Which transitions into the original recording, like actually by Britney Spears, over a montage of Alien and the girls in ski masks committing robberies. Yes. Then Big Arch does a drive-by shooting where Cotty gets shot in the arm and she, like Faith before her, is understandably not interested in being here any longer Mm -hmm. and gets on the bus out of the movie. So then the two remaining girls and Alien go to Big Arch's mansion. Alien immediately gets shot. <laughs> and the girls in the ski mask go into the house and kill a bunch of people, uh, including Big Arch. Then they drive home while in voiceover, they talk about finding themselves and how beautiful it is here. And that's the movie. That is the movie. May I read a prepared statement? Absolutely. Prepared statement. There's a five-star film in there. There's a one-star film in there. There's a four-star or two-star film in there. Overall, it averages out to about three stars without having any three-star elements. There are moments in this where I hated it and moments where I thought it was great. But not in a way where I was like, oh, this part is good, this part is bad. But in a way where some moments I was like, this is a terrible film, I hate it. And other moments where I was like, wait, is this a masterpiece? Like my opinion on the whole film was flipping rather than having an opinion on different parts of it. Uh, It feels like a film whose very existence is a joke, yet it contains zero jokes. (laughs) It felt like my head was melting, but also it was really boring. Uh, It's viscerally unpleasant, but I think on purpose. It reminded me of Selfie by the Chainsmokers. (laughs) And uh, it's very 2012 extremely 2012 yeah. and i did not enjoy 2012 <laughs> <laughs> i just want to say for the listener kira and i met in 2012 so i'm going to take that as a as a personal attack on me no <laughs> no it's fine we didn't become close until a couple of years later so it's fine, it's yeah, fine. so it's yeah <laughs> yeah that is um Contrary to me having not the wrong reaction to White Dog for a good podcast, <laughs> you have somehow managed to have all the reactions I wanted you to have. To <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, the, the I haven't watched it in a while. And as I was watching it, I was like, like I knew that there was a lot of repetition of, <laughs> of not just of the voiceover and stuff, but like they reuse footage, like earlier footage, yeah, yeah, constantly yeah. coming back to footage from earlier in the film. Yeah, 
you see like the same scene just from like slightly different angles but not in a way where it's like you're seeing a different perspective on the scene just like mm-hmm. it's like an inch to the left <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the bit of repetition that really stuck with me on this occasion was uh where the girls are calling alien a scaredy cat before they oh go my god attack a big art That's, i i literally felt like my brain was like just dribbling out my nose because i want they... you to play right here every time it plays so we're gonna do this or what It plays like five times. And the thing is, the thing that you might be mis- misunderstanding, dear listener, is that they're playing the same audio again. But no, they're playing the same lines again. But these are all different takes. <laughs> uh, repetition is like a, is a really big part of the film, even outside. Like when Kati, Rachel Corrine's character, when she gets on the bus... She puts her hand on the, the window exactly like Faith did earlier in the film yeah. and then lies down on the bus seat exactly like Faith did earlier in the film. It's shot from the same angle and everything. But also, there's stuff that we hear early in the film that doesn't actually happen until much later in the film. Like when they they first get to... It's in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is a big uh, spring break town, obviously. And... When they first get to St. Petersburg and it's just showing like the happiest possible version of what happens to them. And there's this like voiceover collage of Mm. them like calling home. Not Cotty for whatever reason, (laughs) but the other three calling home. And Faith does her phone call about half an hour later. And the other two phone calls happen near the end of the film. They're Britain Candy's mm-hmm. club goals. And they even when they are shown on screen, that's a flash forward <laughs> to after they've killed Big Arch. Like we we see we hear that right at the start, and it's all like, I'll play a bit of it here. Having so much fun here. This place is special. 
think we found ourselves here. We finally got to see some other parts of the world. We saw some beautiful things here. God, I can't believe how many new friends we made. Friends from all over the place. I mean, everyone was so sweet here. So warm and friendly. Oh, I'm really fine of myself, etc. It's very interesting that it turns out that a lot of those things are being said by Britain Candy after they've just murdered an entire gang. Well, the thing, the thing about this movie is that, other than I guess Faith, or well, certainly Britain Candy. Okay, we'll just say Britain Candy certainly, yeah. but I think basically all of them um, is that they're fucking evil, <laughs> just right from the start of the movie. Yes. Yeah, um, and they just like find uh, find an outlet, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's they're like Walter White in that respect. Yes, yeah. The of the of the how many Korean films I've seen, a big theme across all of them is people trying to find authenticity. And Spring Breakers and Trash Humpers in particular, I would describe as films about the folly of thinking that authenticity is who you are able to be when you're free from judgment and consequences. Because in a sense, that does reveal all the evil inside Britain Candy over the course of this film. But also, they're putting it on. Like, the way that they're being evil, they're putting on. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. play- they're playing at... The, the form their evil is taking. They like early on, Candy says, just pretend you're in a video game or in a movie. Yeah. And they like, especially Candy, played by Vanessa Hutchins, especially Candy, when she's doing crime things, she like, it's not like too bad to the point where it's like deeply uncomfortable. She definitely puts on a bit of like a, like a street voice. Oh, yeah. Get on your motherfucking knees. I was in the car, I was sitting there looking out for all the motherfucking police and we in the back we just open the door and we go these motherfuckers hands on the motherfucking get your motherfucking knees on the motherfucking ground those motherfuckers down motherfucker down we need to acknowledge the mouse-shaped elephant in the room Mm-hmm. So, the three main characters who aren't played by Harmony Korean's wife are all played by what would be a fair term teen idols I feel like Teen Idol is more for music. That's fair. Like former child stars? Yeah, it's something like that. So obviously Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens are d- direct from Disney Channel. Yeah. From Wizards of Waverly Place and High School Musical. Ashley Benson is one step removed. She's from Pretty Little Liars, which is on ABC. <laughs> which is on <open. laughs> Originally, Ashley Benson's role was cast with Emma Roberts, and I actually think Emma Roberts was the first cast. And then she got she decided she didn't want to be in a film with uh, this a film this sexually explicit, which makes me wonder how she got cast before <laughs> before she changed her mind. Like, what did she think the film? Was? I for everyone at home, like, Dean, what percentage of this film would you say is just like shots of boobs and ass? More than five percent. Way more than five percent. I'm bad at percentages, though. That's the only. That's I'm. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I would say that. like thirty <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. So it's obviously quite interesting that in this film, the main characters are played by a bunch of a bunch of teen stars. Selena Gomez was the youngest at the time of filming. She was twenty. I think Benson and Hudgens were like twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, and then Rachel Kareen is like was like twenty seven. That's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Yeah, Selena Gomez gets out of there without doing anything more than wearing a bikini <laughs> and taking like one hit off a bong early on. Yeah. Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson do a bit more than that. They have a three-way in the pool with James Franco. They do cocaine off naked bodies. And mm. I can't remember if they personally get their tits out, but they're certainly in situations where tits are out. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It feels to me like almost like a parody of like when a child or teen star wants to make a mature film to show that they're grown up now. Amy, this isn't High School Musical. Yeah, Amy, this isn't High School Musical 2. Yeah, and it isn't High School Musical 3 senior year. All right. Point is, it's not a High School Musical. That's right. I got it. The obvious uh, point of comparison is going to be Showgirls, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But like, it's kind of a, it's like a trope almost. It um, is a trope, but maybe the most tropey, ex- most example of that trope other than Spring Breakers is Elizabeth Berkley doing yeah, showgirls yeah. <laughs> to shake off yeah. Steve by the bell. <laughs> but like it, it, but yeah, it both is that and also it's like making fun of that. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I think. I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But something, something's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think Showgirls is a good point of comparison, not just because of that, but also because well, like Showgirls is definitely a satire of yeah. American commercial sexuality. For everyone at home, we're big Showgirls heads. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, I bought it at Versace. Spring Breakers is definitely about American commercial sexuality. Is it a satire of it or the most indulgent example of it is a is a big point of debate about the yeah. film. I I, I, w- <laughs> I would say that I was reminded of the grotesquerie of excess in The Wolf of Wall Street, of all the nightmarish scenes in The Wolf of Wall Street of these rich assholes just like snorting more drugs than the human body can handle and then riding each other around in the office and hiring sex workers to do insane shit. And it reminded me a lot of The Wolf of Wall Street this time. I hadn't seen The Wolf of Wall Street uh, the last time I watched it. I also thought of The Wolf of Wall Street comparison, but as like a point of contrast. Mm. Because in The Wolf of Wall Street, like is like very unpleasant, but it's also like fun. Like you Mm. get pulled into it, like and you're complicit in their behavior. And this is never fun, <laughs> not for a second, which is incredible because it is just like kids kids having a fun time for a lot of it. But it's yeah. just so unpleasant. It's, it's Yeah, the it's, way it's edited is just there's all there's a lot of cutting between slow-mo shots. And it's like like rapid cutting between slow-mo shots. And sometimes the images will arbitrarily be shot on like a lower grade camera than than yeah. the main body of the film. Like sometimes it's clearly like digital tape or VHS or something. That's a Harmony Korean standard to to use mixed um, film well, that, I interpreted that as like in the world of the film, people filming. Yeah, some of that I definitely feel like that. But then there's these, in the middle, especially leading up to Faith leaving, there are these, there's much more distorted footage that's almost like yeah. um, pointless. And I've no, I've no, I've no idea what that's about. That's about. <laughs> then, like, a, like it's almost like the the like whatever it's shot on is degrading. The the yeah. mix of the repetition and the way that sometimes it seems like the film is breaking down, both in terms of the literal medium that it's shot on and also the film itself. 
weirdly reminded me of the Disintegration Loops. Do you know the Disintegration Loops? No. It's an album by the avant-garde composer William Bazinski. He was making around the time 9-11 happened, and he was making it in New York, and the cover photo is is a photo from his window of the Burning Terries. And the Disintegration Loops is he got a bunch of old tape loops of, of music he hadn't finished that were starting to decay, and he just recorded the tapes playing on a loop as they rotted, like as they were and they break down mm-hmm. as it repeats. And the film like like once Alien enters the film, there literally is this rep this repeating of everything gets too uncomfortable for fate, so she leaves despite Alien trying to convince her to stay by telling her how much he likes her and being a weird sex creep. <laughs> and then after Faith is gone, there's a no- there's another loop that of escalation where like they go to a strip club and you you're introduced to Big Arch and and his backstory with Alien and that escalates until it reaches a point where Cotty leaves after things get too much for her, leaving in the same manner. And then there's a third loop of escalation where the it, Alien and Britain Candy fucking lead a three man assault by Yash on <laughs> Big Arch's compound. And as you said in the summary, they get up on a they got on a dock and they're like walking up to the house, and literally immediately, <laughs> some random goon of big arches just fucking domes alien. Boom! Headshot! Shot one kill. And then they leave too, and and they somehow between when they fucking murdered everyone in that compound and when they're driving away in one of big arches' fancy cars at the end. At some point, the experience seems to have disillusioned at least Brit, too. I don't think Candy gets disillusioned with anything at any point. <laughs> they all leave, driving away at the end of these, these, these loops. And as each one of them leaves, their voice disappears from the film. So we never hear Fate's voice over again after she leaves, Cotty's after she leaves, mm-hmm. Aliens after he's dead, which is gradually changing the composition of these repeated loops of voice over collage. And... There was something apocalyptic in the air. Well, the world was supposed to end in 2012. That's true. And and can I just say, maybe it did. I, I would like to read from an article called Avicii and EDM's Promise of Post-Recessional Excess by Emily Yoshida, mm-hmm. published on the occasion of Avicii's death in 2018. R.I.P. R.I.P. This is about the music video for Silhouette. The first video that accompanied it on YouTube was a collage of tour footage of burgling. That's Avicii. Hopping onto private jet after private jet, always at night, always lit by the cobra snake-esque glow of an on-camera light. In between the jet setting were gigs, big and loud and barely distinguishable from each other, populated by picture-perfect EDM babes and the up-down, up-down of repetitive, predictive doses of bliss. Watching the video again makes me feel incredibly nostalgic, but also gives the overwhelming sense of an entire youth culture borrowing on credit. Our jiltedness of not getting the adulthood we've been promised as kids, reliable employment, the outside chance of one day owning a house, had retreated to lick its wounds and come back as a voracious, bottomless need for everything shiny and stupid and expensive we could get our hands on, even if we had to scam our way to it. And in that sense, another film that I was thinking of while watching Spring Breakers was... The Bling Ring. By Sofia Coppola. Which is a film based on a true story about a bunch of high sc- really wealthy high school students who started breaking into celebrities' houses to steal shit just for, like, the thrill of it. And the two of those films coming out so close together, Spring Breakers and Bling Ring, this fascination with these um, these images of, like, youth, a youth culture that was 
both hedonistic and nihilistic of like this accumulation of status and pleasure to no end not even as ends of themselves just like <laughs> i think anybody who who watched spring breakers blind would like i mean apart from just vomiting probably from this overwhelming <laughs> sensory experience the fact that it's so like it gets so harrowing in places that it really like that's like wow there's like there's nothing in these people's lives underneath i don't even know how to put it this they want the, the, the not just instant gratification but like they they want they want pleasure and yet don't seem find pleasure in pleasure yeah it's like it's like they they think they're supposed to like this and so yeah. they they do but they don't really, but they don't like there's <laughs> um it's it's interesting how much the characters especially as the film goes on they seem to be like seeking some sort of authenticity through this like putting themselves in this outlaw position but even in this outlaw position they're like the most conformists like alien exists to conform to an idea of what it means to be like a successful rapper and he's he's got scarface on repeat on repeat he's got nunchucks i'm gonna I'm, i may drop the entire look at all my shit monologue yeah yeah here. yeah yeah do. <laughs> This is my fucking dream, y'all. All this shit. Look at my shit. I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. I got designer t-shirts. I got gold bullets, motherfucking vampires. I got Scarface on repeat. Best movie. Scarface on repeat, constant, y'all. I got Escape, Calvin Klein Escape. Mix that shit up with Calvin Klein B. Smell nice. I smell nice. Ain't a fucking bed, that's a fucking art piece. My fucking spaceship, USS Enterprise on this shit. I go to different planets on this motherfucker. Me and my fucking Franklin's here, we take off. Fucking take off. Look at my shit. Look at my shit. I got my blue Kool-Aid. Ooh, you got some Kool-Aid. I got my fucking nunchucks. I got shurikens, I got different flavors. I got them, I got them size. Look at that shit. I got size. I got blades. Look at my shit. This ain't nothing. I got I got rooms of this shit. I got my dark tanning oil. Yeah. <laughs> Lay out by the pool. Yeah. Put on my dark tanning yeah. oil. Machine guns. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this motherfucker here. What I love about the look at all my shit monologue is how he really does mean look at all my shit. Because at one at, at one moment he'll be showing off a massive machine gun and then he'll be showing off his dark tanning oil. <laughs> <laughs> it's like from CVS or something. <laughs> we should talk about Alien. James Franco in this movie. Well, firstly, he's just disgusting. Yes. Like he's just, he's just very unpleasant both to look at and to listen to. It's definitely the best performance in the film, mm. but also he he's got the most like of a character <laughs> yeah. to kind of do, mm. and. uh Oh, I don't know. He's he's a real fucking weirdo. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I mean, right from the moment he bails the girls out, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, because those weird, those weird creepy twins who work for him, who we are informed always DP their women together, for the record. Just, yeah, uh, that has to yeah. Be that. Well, they uh, share everything. Yeah, so. and they tell him, they give him a signal 
to like bail them out. And the fact that there's a signal makes me feel like he's not. This is not the first time he's done something like this. According to Harmony Caridi, the character of Alien is mainly inspired by a like Saint Petersburg, a real Saint Petersburg area rapper called Danger Russ. Like Danger <laughs> Rust. Uh, I have not looked into this whatsoever because dangerous doesn't even have like a wikipedia page or anything and i'm not trying that hard but if dangerous alien inspired by dangerous the dangerous is inspired by some more recognizable because <laughs> the 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 whole thing of like i'm an alien i'm not from this world that is so eminem like eminem saying he's an alien extraterrestrial running over pedestrians it is a great performance from james franco the, I, I i really like that there's only one shot in like the film where he friends when he's in, when he's in, they're in Big Arch's strip club, and there's one mo- shot where he's doing this like really distinctive stare that I always think associate with James Franco. This like frowning look over, like "What are you up to, my enemies?" Like he's always doing that <laughs> in his Spider-Man films, and all the rest of the time he's trying to be like the life of the party and like this kind of like I'm just a fun guy thing. that. Yeah, like it's it's crazy how he thinks he's being when whenever he thinks he's being like seductive or like cool or like even just like persuading someone, it's just like yeah. The 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 bit where he's trying to convince Faith to stay, he's basically explaining why she wants to leave back to her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And he's just like. Like, he puts her his hand on her face and she pulls away, but then he, not only does he not respect that, but he just keeps running his hand all over different parts of her face. And it's so, like, and even once he's he's failed to persuade her to stay, he starts saying, like, you're gonna leave, but your friends are gonna stay here. And, oh, he's, is, is in such an impressively slimy, up, upsetting performance. Your friends are gonna stay with me. Friends ain't gonna go with you. <laughs> and I'm gonna be thinking about you when I'm with your friends, okay? Can I can I just say like in like one of the first scenes in the movie, one of the girls at church group is like, oh, those girls are evil. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. cool. I don't Did know you... what to make of that. It's not like it's not like I think there's something really fascinating about about the betrayal of religion in this because you expect from everything about this film you expect it to have this really cynical dismissive view of religion but if anything I I would say you could easily interpret this as a uh, fundamentalist Christian film. Yes, absolutely. Um Actually that that reminds me my my favorite review on IMDb called it Terence Malick's Girls Gone Wild. <laughs> And I think that's that's <laughs> definitely true, and that makes it sound really good in a way. But also, do I want that to exist? <laughs> even let alone to watch it? I don't know. Yeah, I I haven't seen any Terrence Ma- Malick films to my to my to my shame, but I do know that that he's like Carmody Crean's <laughs> favorite director. I want to t- drill into the religion thing a bit. First of all, did you happen to recognize the gentleman playing the youth pastor? I did not recognize him, but I watched it with someone who who did. 
And who immediately pointed it out to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jeff Jarris, the legendary American professional wrestler. Is there any, like, reason for that? Like, I... I... <laughs> Or just, just they just happen to cast him, or does that have any particular kind of meaning to it? I I didn't get any particular meaning from it. <laughs> I I will say that Harmony Creed definitely just likes to just like just just likes to cast people he kind of thinks it would be funny to cast. I think. I mean, that's kind of that's a big premise of this film. I feel so. Jeff Jarrett is this this cool youth pastor Ugh. who's like. Getting getting the young kids ginned up about the Holy Spirit and whatever, and he there's a it was one bit that really stuck out to me that I never I, I hadn't really taken too much notice of before. He says from First Corinthians ten thirteen, it says, "But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it." How cool is that, right. dudes? How cool is that? Awesome. Yeah. You feel what that says? That every temptation, he's gonna give you a way out. Y'all feel me? Yeah, the the way out is is getting a bus. It is God literally for buses. like, and the fact that the like the bus, when they're leaving on the bus, the last thing you see of either Cotty or or Faith is them lying, sleeping on the bus, and they almost look dead. And then they just never. There's something like it does feel like it's this like, this other world, and that there's some sort of something supernatural about like leaving on that bus that you're like. Yeah, I I remember a particular. I can't remember what was happening in a scene, but there was a particular scene that was lit all in red, and I was like, "Oh, mm. it's hell." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That every temptation he's going to give you a way out. More than just obviously, you can literally just leave on the bus anytime. <laughs> but also, just every single time the characters do something, they could just not do that thing, <laughs> and they just keep doing them. At a certain point, it's like they're doing stuff and they don't even know why why they're doing it. Like, I, I keep coming back to the when they go to the strip club, when they come go to Big Archer's strip club and and Alien gives the girls money to, you know, to spend, to get, to tip and, and whatever. And it's like, I mean, I guess Brit and Candy make out a bit later, but that, I can't, you know, is that, is that just because they're two girls on spring break and they're in front of a guy or... I, I got a real... Uh... I was reminded of the first three Fast and Furious movies in in that two girls make out to show that you're at a cool party. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There is because not just there's a couple. There's a couple of times that happens. I think um, there's a lot of times that happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. just there's nearly as many shots of two girls making out as there are shots of girls just with bouncing tits. But they they're always they're always showing off their tits, bouncing in slow motion. Uh, to music that feels somewhat discordant to them. <laughs> it's, ne- there's, it's not that I can't imagine anybody getting their rocks off at this film, but this is not a film made to like generally appeal to the common pervert, I would say. It's like... <laughs> but in terms of the religion thing and kind of how it relates to the, the you know, the jiggling asses and so forth. <laughs> in some ways, I think this is like a very or certainly could be watched as a very straightforward conservative Christian movie about how mm-hmm. sex and alcohol are bad and you should mm-hmm. stay at home and go to the go to the Christian youth group. Yeah. And stay away from uh, your non-Christian friends because they're they're evil. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah, can you imagine any branch of Christianity that would show this as a 
as one of those like like God's scare him straight films. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Or no, even I... back in the day when they used to, you know, this isn't filmed so much. I mean, they did make films of them, but you know, all those like fake memoirs of <laughs> of people who like. I smoked reefer one time and I ended up getting raped by Satan or whatever. And yeah. had an abortion and that then does, died. That <laughs> does happen when you smoke reefer. <laughs> it's really fucked up. Yeah, no, obviously that's like that's like the tension within the film between certainly having the possibility of being read as like quite conservative and also being just like nonstop TNA. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's probably what makes both those elements more interesting to me because I don't find either of them terribly interesting on their own. <laughs> yeah. But their combination yeah. of the two is interesting. Yeah, you don't want to watch a Girls Gone Wild video and you don't want to watch God's Not Dead too. But do you want to watch God's Gone Wild too? <laughs> <laughs> Still apparently no, but also it's at least worth a conversation. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> Dean. Are you glad that you watched Spring Breakers? In response to that, I'm going to read a quote from a Roger Ebert review of an unrelated film. Okay. Okay. Gradually, during the opening scenes of Joe vs. Volcano, my heart began to quicken until finally I realized a wondrous thing. I had not seen this movie before. Most movies I've seen before. Most movies you have seen before. Most movies are constructed out of bits and pieces of other movies, like little engines built from cinematic erector sets, but not Joe vs. Volcano. I had not seen Spring Breakers before. Yeah. So I'm glad I watched it. I am honestly, like, <laughs> so happy that your answer was the Joe vs. the Volcano review. <laughs> like, that, that, it's yeah. not as good as Joe vs. Volcano, which also has a lot of problems. <laughs> but I love Joe vs. Volcano uh, yeah. unreservedly. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I think this was a productive <laughs> enterprise. To be clear, I'm never going to watch it again. Yeah. Except maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah. But I I wouldn't say I liked it. No, no, that's fair. It was, it was definitely something. We are we are watching a a a, a very different film next <laughs> or is it very different i mean i haven't seen it so i guess i don't know but i it, it, it is it is quite quite different what are we watching kira i believe we are watching kramer versus kramer we are very much film for your mom mm, mm. it's one best picture i think a lot of people think it's lame but like not like as like concentrated as like anti ordinary people backlash or anything anti ordinary people backlash is, is, is scumbag territory <laughs> that movie well, rules in, in fairness none of those people have seen it no i've obviously heard of kramer versus kramer and seen references to kramer versus kramer in pop culture all my life but it is very much one of those things where i guess i know what it's about but also i have this big feeling that it's not at all, all what i think 
What do you think it's about? I want to know. I think it's about a custody battle. It, but in what? Like a courtroom drama? I would assume it is substantially courtroom based. Okay. I guess I'll find out whether I'm right once I watch it. You're super wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. It, it's nice to get back to normality a bit. Yeah. A film you could actually watch, we could actually watch with a member of our family is nice. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you'll, you'll like it. Okay. It's, hopefully. If you don't, I'll be sad. Until next time, I'm Dean Buckley. I'm Kira Maloney. The song was Boostag by Alexander Nakarada. And this was The Sunday Presents. And happy birthday to Sam Waterston. I'm the actor James Franco Dammit, and I'm in love with and common law married to a Japanese body pillow.